This is the Healthy Aging Podcast from Clover Health, exploring a wide variety of medical and wellness issues for older adults and their families. Here's your host, Jason Alderman. I'm Jason Alderman. I'm the Chief Communications Officer at Clover Health. We're here today with Dr. Kumar Dharmarajan. He's our Chief Scientific Officer, and he's also a geriatric cardiologist. Kumar, thanks for being here with us. Very happy to be here, Jason. We have an exciting topic today, one that uh, has been on my mind a lot of late, and that is vaccines, the myths of violence vaccines and the benefits of vaccines. Can we start with what are the most common misunderstandings about vaccinations? I think that's a great place to start. Vaccines are incredibly important for older adults and kids and anybody. There's a number of, I think, common myths. The first one is that vaccines can make you sick. We hear that a lot about the flu vaccine, where people think that they got the vaccine and they got the flu as a result of getting the vaccine. The reality is vaccines are either dead viruses or alive, but inactivated viruses. So there's really no way that the virus itself or bacteria in some instances can make you sick. What a vaccine can do is give you a little redness at the side of the injection. And for some people and some vaccines, sometimes even with the flu vaccine, people might feel a little sick afterwards. They might have a low-grade fever for a day, but that's very different than getting the flu or the pneumonia. Well, let me stop you there because that one is something I hear a lot from folks that, you know, they don't want to get the flu, so, you know, they, they got the flu shot once, made them sick. So how, if, it, if it's got dead vaccine, how can you get that low-grade, logy feeling that some people get? It's a good question. The material in a vaccine is still foreign to our bodies, right? So while it might not be the alive and kicking flu virus, it is an inactivated flu virus. And you actually want the body to have a reaction to the vaccine. That's how your body builds up you know, immunoglobulins and other immune cells to help us in the instance we get the real flu or the real pneumonia. We're sort of building up our memory in our bodies as to what it would be like if we were really hit by that bug. And so that reaction is actually your body starting to build antibodies and starting to build defenses against that pathogen. So that's, it's a good sign then if you get a little logy after getting, say, a flu vaccine. Yeah, I think it's it's an evidence that your body is reacting to it. And, you know, the reaction we want is the body building up its defenses. And I think even if you don't get a reaction, just be clear, that doesn't mean you're not going to be protected from the pathogen, whether that's the flu or tetanus or pneumonia or diphtheria or any other vaccine. But if you are feeling something afterwards, you know, your body is doing its job. I, I cut you off. You're telling me about some other myths about vaccinations. What else do people, what, do, what else do you hear from patients or their family members who are worried? Right. Yeah. I, I think another myth is just vaccines are ineffective, right? I got a vaccine and I still got sick, right? And so the vaccines just don't work. So the reality is vaccines are never 100% effective. I would say really Nothing in medicine is 100% effective. But I can even you know, tell you about the flu vaccine this past year. It was probably 40 to 60% effective based on the study out there. Is that, that good? Is that a good number? I think it's a good number because huh. it's not just effective in terms of you got the flu or didn't get the flu. So there's certainly a number of people who didn't get the flu because they were vaccinated. But the other important thing is 
if they were vaccinated, even if they got the flu, it was much more likely to be less severe. So they got the flu, but the symptoms might have lasted a couple of days. They may not have even realized they got the flu because it was so mild. And we see that most of the people, again, sticking with the flu who died from the flu, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a travesty because in many cases it's preventable. They didn't get the vaccine, right? And so the vaccine has dual benefits. It prevents you from getting infections, but even if you get it, it tends to make it milder. Got it. And 40 to 6% for the flu for other common geriatric vaccinations, is that is that the, the rate of effectiveness or is that on the low side for others? It's probably close. Depends on the vaccine, right? So other common geriatric vaccines, you know, the pneumonia vaccines, and it's also called the pneumococcal vaccine. It's a vaccine against the most common bacteria that causes pneumonia, and pneumonia does happen older or younger. Another vaccine that's uh, common in older adults is the herpes zoster vaccine. What's that? So herpes zoster is actually a really painful rash that develops in the body, and it is really debilitating in many cases because even when the rash goes away, someone could have pain there for many years. And it could be a sharp, lancinating, burning pain that really could impact people's lives. And herpes zoster actually isn't herpes per se. It is in the way that many people think about herpes. It is actually a reactivation of the chickenpox virus, which is the varicella Uh, virus. Wait, so is this shingles? This is... The shingles vaccine, exactly. I see. So shingles is, is the common name. That's not, uh, oh, I see. Yeah, that one seems to be one that is a lot of concern. I hear a lot of seniors really worried about shingles or when they've had when they've heard of it from a friend, it sounds awful. They're really worried about it. It is awful. And, yeah. you know, most of us have gotten chicken pox or the chicken pox vaccine in our lives. Yeah. And really the, the shingles happens, the reactivation of the chicken pox happens often later in life or when we're stressed or when we're sick because of something else. Our body's defenses go down in that situation and chicken pox virus, you know, comes out again and it causes these painful rashes. And it's just evidence that you think you've fought off the chicken pox when you were little. Yeah. But there's, it continues to live in a very quiescent form within some of our nerves. But when our defenses go down, it comes out as shingles. And really? I had no idea. So, so I had chicken pox when I was nine years old. So somewhere living in me still is some dormant version of that that could come back. Sorry to break that news. Yeah. And what's with you? <laughs> I had no idea. And so, and my kids, for instance, you don't get chicken pox anymore for the most part, right? You can get the chicken pox vaccine. Does that mean when my kids are seniors, they won't get shingles? I don't think we know yet, to huh. be honest, because the vaccine hasn't been around for 50, 60 years. So interesting. And children do get it. My kids have gotten it yeah. too. And I think it's to be determined how big a problem chickenpox is when we get older. So I don't think you would get zoster or shingles when you're older uh-huh. because if the vaccine, chickenpox vaccine works, you don't get chickenpox. But the question is, at what point in time might you need to get a booster dose oh, of the chickenpox vaccine? I see. Because... Well, it's one thing for a child to get the chicken pox. It's another thing for an 80-year-old with tons of chronic conditions to get chicken pox at that point. And so while the vaccine is effective, and for most of us, chicken pox is just something we deal with. It's very uncomfortable, but then we get better. The whole reason the vaccine exists is there are a very small minority of children who get the chicken pox who have lifelong complications from it. But you know, to be determined what the response rate will be like and you know, chicken pox related events that happen in 
young kids now who are getting the vaccine when they're older adults. Got it. So for those who who were too old, like me, to have gotten the the, vac- the chickenpox vaccine when I was a kid, are you are you're saying there's a there's a vaccine that that seniors can get to help reduce the likelihood of getting shingles now? Exactly. Got it. Okay. And so that sounds like a must do in terms of vaccinations. It is actually, it's very effective. So there was an initial version of this vaccine that was kind of effective, but there's a new one that's come out in the last few years that is very effective. And so the recommendation now is even for many people who got that initial vaccine to still get the second one because it's so much more effective. And, and no harm in getting a vaccine twice like this or, you know, one and a half times depending on the variation. I think, you know, I wouldn't say there's one rule here, but I would say in the case of the zoster or shingles vaccine, it's fine. But I wouldn't say that across the board. There are other more obscure vaccines that we're not going to talk about really today, like for yellow fever and things like that. If you've ever traveled outside of the country, you know, there might be specific considerations there in terms of getting too much of it. Got it. I'm curious about this with vaccines for seniors, because it's something we hear a lot about, a myth that we hear a lot about with parents, which is autism. Maybe you can just quickly touch on childhood autism and vaccines. And if there's a concern that you hear as a geriatrician around autism and vaccines for seniors. Right. So certainly an important public debate right now around vaccines in children. And as we see in the news, the measles outbreaks throughout the U.S., New York City, as an example, you know, unfortunately, the biggest study, the first major study that demonstrated a potential link between a specific vaccine, the MMR or the measles, mumps, and rubella vaccine, and autism was debunked, right? It had faulty data within it. Unfortunately, that study um, was published in a major medical journal a number of years ago. It got a lot of play, and a lot of people have jumped onto that. The doctor, I think the doctor who did it even lost his medical license in the UK, as I recall. That, that is correct. And but he's unfortunately still on the circuit and talking about that work. And so there have been a number of studies since then that have not shown a convincing link. What is true, then we've seen it with the recent measles outbreak, is if you don't get vaccinated, you're not only at higher risk yourself or your child will be at higher risk if your child's not vaccinated, you're also at higher risk of giving measles to other people, right? And some of the, unfortunately, the folks who've been vaccinated, gotten measles in these latest outbreaks, it's not just the children of parents who did not want to vaccinate their children, but it's other just young children who are too young to get the measles vaccine who just happen to be in that area. And so I'm staying on the side of the recommendations that are based on for the Centers for Disease Control and others that it's just important to get vaccinated. Because we've seen with some of these children, measles could actually kill you, right? It's not something that many of us have experience with because a lot of us have thought it had been really not wiped off the face of the earth, but just not happening in the United States anymore. And so I think it's important that we we stay on top of these communicable diseases because we do have cures for them. So obviously, no link between autism and vaccines for children. Do you hear seniors coming to you say, I'm worried about this because I've heard bad things about vaccinations? And do they call out autism? I'll be honest with you, I haven't. I think the link there is really the, those pediatric vaccines. So it is actually not recommended standard practice that an older adult gets the measles vaccine. And the reason is most people who are older age have either been exposed to the measles, right? So if you were born in the 1940s or 1950s, you might have gotten the measles or gotten resistance to it because it was around you or you've had the vaccine. So it's really, I 
think, a much newer thing right now where people are not getting the vaccine. And as a result, it hasn't been, for me, at least in my experience, a concern I've heard. Got it. What are the other vaccines? We've, so we've talked, about, we've talked about shingles. What are the other, va- talk about flu. What are the other vaccinations you think that seniors and, and their caregivers, whether that's adult children or healthcare providers or others that are going to be around them, what, what are the vaccinations they should be getting? Right. So we've, we've basically uh, briefly talked about the pneumonia vaccine. So that's a vaccine against a bacteria called pneumococcal or pneumococcus pneumonia. And it's the most common cause of pneumonia in older adults. That's two vaccines now is the recommendation one year apart after you turn 65. And if you're someone with chronic conditions like diabetes and others, the recommendation might be that you get it even before you're 65 years of age. Another one that's really important for older adults is Tdap, tetanus, diphtheria, and acellular pertussis. Those are all, you know, tetanus, diphtheria, and pertussis. They're relatively rare conditions, but if you get your booster shot every 10 years for that, it pretty much, you know, takes the chance of getting those to zero. And those are really the four. So I would say the flu, pneumonia, Tdap, which I just talked about, and the shingles vaccine that are part of the normal schedule for older adults. But to respond to your question about what should you get as a caregiver to prevent your loved one from getting these awful conditions, I think the flu vaccine is the most important of all that because flu is extremely contagious. And you know, one of the recommendations to avoid the flu, if you're an older adult or anyone, is try and you know avoid people who are actively sick. But if you're a caregiver you know, for a loved one and you get the flu, maybe your loved one still depends on you. And so you, you're you know, increasing the chance that your loved one gets the flu as well. So I think that's the key one. I've just read some, some statistics that some seniors are less likely to get vaccinated. Do you have a sense why? Yeah, I think that we've seen, you know, even with some of our data at Clover, some of the surveys we've done, that the groups of seniors who are less likely to get vaccinated are those who have less income. It's often people of racial and ethnic minorities. And I think, uh, you know, there's a number of reasons why. One is, you know, I think certain communities might believe that the vaccine is not likely to work or more likely to actually cause like the flu, as an example, than others. You know, I also think that there might be a misperception that, you know, it's really expensive to get these vaccines when, in fact, most health insurance plans, for example, us, as an example, we cover these vaccines because it's preventive care. Medicare wants its beneficiaries to get these vaccines because it knows that it keeps people healthy. And frankly, you know, when folks are healthier, they're less expensive to Medicare. Right. And so, you know, I think that financial barrier and the knowledge barrier, I think those can be addressed, but I think they present challenges. I also think, though, there are some groups in general, when they're older, they are more likely to get the vaccine. So, for example, the flu vaccine, we actually know that in general, older adults are more likely to get the flu vaccine than younger adults. Now, the the Tdap, the one I spoke to you about earlier, the tetanus, diphtheria, pertussis vaccine, those are ones kids get all the time, right? Because you go to your pediatrician, you know, sometimes schools require these vaccines. I don't know if you've had those little yellow cards you get from your pediatrician yes, with yes. the dates of all the vaccines put on them. But sometimes people, you know, they sort of leave the system, right? They're not getting the regular medical care anymore. And so it doesn't actually get on the agenda that they need these regular vaccines moving forward. But so I think it's a more of a complicated question, but you know, in some cases, older adults are more likely to get it, mm. some less. But I think folks with, you know, fewer economic means are often the ones who are stuck not getting them, which is unfortunate. 
Should seniors be proactive? Should they go and make an appointment to get these or should they wait for their doctor or nurse practitioner to say, okay, it's time, Jason, time for you to get these shots? Or should you call up and say, all right, I'm ready. I'm, I'm, I haven't had a shot in a long time. I'm, I'm ready for it. Yeah, I think that it would be ideal if that were the case. And in certain instances, I'd say it's easier. So the flu vaccine, most people know that there's a flu vaccine that comes out every year. Although it might be a myth for some people, they've been vaccinated once, they think that the flu vaccine works forever. When in the reality is the flu strain changes every year, so you do need to get revaccinated each year. But I think that's one where someone is well positioned to say, Dr. So-and-so, I'd like to make an appointment to get my flu vaccine. With regard to pneumonia and some of the other ones, or, or Tdap, which is an every 10 year, might be asking a lot for someone to always remember, hey, it's my 10 year anniversary and it's time for me to get my Tdap. And I think that's where you know our systems or electronic health records really need to you know, remind us to get the care that we need. What if you're homebound? Either you're, you still go out much because you don't have mobility, you're, st- you're living with your adult children, or you're, you know, you're, it's even more institutional that you're, you've got an in-home caregiver. H- how does that play into this? And how do you get your shots if you're literally unable to go out? It's a challenge, to be honest. But I think in most communities, there are house calls providers. It might be more challenging to identify these folks. Right. Um, your regular doctor may or may not know about, but there are doctors and nurses who do go into homes. There are also a number of community based organizations and often local health departments understand that this indeed is a real issue for many seniors. It is exceptionally difficult for them to leave their home for one reason or another. And if you contact your local health department, let's say for the flu vaccine around, you know, September, October, November, when the vaccine is coming out, there's often options for these individuals to still get the vaccine, but I think it does require more proactive work to be able to get this. How do we do it at Clover? Uh, you know, for our members who are enrolled in one of our Medicare Advantage plans, and let's say they're just really not mobile, how, how do we deal with that? Right. We have an, an in-home care program where our most vulnerable homebound members are offered this program to provide care-like vaccines, but primary care, a whole spate of in-home care services. And so for some of our sickest and most vulnerable, we offer the flu vaccine. We'll just deliver it in the home. So we'll have a doctor or nurse go into the home and just just do it. Whether it's the flu vaccine, the pneumonia vaccine, all the ones we just discussed, we're very, very happy to do that. I thought house calls were house calls were dead. I guess not. Nope. They're actually for very good reasons, you know, rising from the ashes in many ways. So traditional house calls, part of the reason you thought it was dead and it was pretty quiescent is because the finances didn't work for it, frankly. It takes a long time to go from home to home to see patients. And these are often the sickest patients. There's a reason they can't leave their home. So it takes more time in the home, more time to travel. And it just wasn't economically feasible for many providers to deliver that care. But health plans who really care about all of the health outcomes a member has, we can create value-based practices where we say, it's just worth it for our member and it's just worth it for Clover, it's worth it for Medicare, for us to spend the money, even though it's expensive to deliver this care when someone is vulnerable and needs it. That's terrific. Well, Kumar, thank you so much for coming in today. We've been talking with Dr. Kumar Damarajan. He's the chief scientific officer here at Clover, and he's a geriatric cardiologist. Kumar, thank you. You're welcome. 
Thanks for listening to the Healthy Aging Podcast from Clover Health. If you like what you heard, please leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to share with your friends and family. For more information about Clover, visit www.cloverhealth.com.